You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. In today's podcast, we are talking about pressing into Pentecost through prayer on our knees. For more information about our ministry, go to revivaltalk.org. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We are in the season between Passover, which we would know as Resurrection Sunday or Easter, and Pentecost. Passover speaks of redemption. Pentecost is a time of visitation. It was one of the three feasts that the Jewish male was required to attend. Passover in the spring, Pentecost at the beginning of summer, and the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. We are pressing toward Pentecost. The first Pentecost took place at Mount Sinai in the wilderness 50 days after the first Passover. The children of Israel journeyed from Egypt by the way of the Red Sea through the wilderness and then arrived 42 days after leaving Egypt. And on the 50th day, God came down on the mountain and met with Moses. Pentecost is a time of divine visitation. And we are pressing into Pentecost. And as we press into Pentecost, we are crying out for a divine visitation. When Israel left Egypt, they journeyed into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And God visited them at Mount Sinai. This was the first Pentecost. And God came to establish a new order and bring forth a new day. He established a covenant with the children of Israel. And we call this the Palestinian covenant. He gave them both the law, both the civil and the ceremonial law, which is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I preached a message, a first in this series, and I made the statement, we have no other choice but to cry out to God for divine intervention. We are moving towards Pentecost on our knees. We are moving towards Pentecost prayerfully. We are on our knees crying out for God's mercy. We are living in very dangerous times. In 2014, I prophesied to you there'd come a day that you would not be able to go to the mall without praying and asking the Holy Spirit, should you go to the mall? Just yesterday, nine people were shot and injured. I don't know how many died in a mall in Dallas, Texas, in the heartland of America. We are living in dangerous times. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last day perilous times shall come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Our only hope today is divine intervention. We must have true revival. Just last Thursday, we gathered at the courthouse about 80 to 100 people from all kinds of different churches, and we prayed and interceded and cried out for our city. 
for our state and for our nation. Brother Toby Faust, who is the pastor in South Maine, said this. He said, we don't have any problem that a revival can't cure. He said, we don't have any problem that a revival can't solve. I believe that we need this morning divine visitation and divine intervention. Can you say amen? And revival will only come when we cry out in desperation. What did the disciples do when Jesus ascended into heaven? They spent 10 days in prayer. They acted on the promise of Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. We have a promise of visitation. We have the promise of God's Word in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I also have a very personal promise from the Lord. While I was recovering from COVID in the hospital, God visited me. He said, I will visit you again. How do we respond to these promises? The very same way that the 120 in the upper room responded in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. And these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They continued in prayer. How many of you have promises from God that you're believing for? Say amen. How do we respond to these promises? Well, 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. You take the promises of God and you go back before the throne of grace and you say, God, here's what you promised me. Here's what you said to me. I bring this promise before your throne because you're a God who cannot lie. You're a God who does not change. You're a God who keeps his word. And I come before the throne of grace boldly in my time of need that I might obtain help. And I stand on the promise of God. And I believe that you're going to fulfill the promise that you made to me. We are moving toward Pentecost. Dr. Tim Hill writes, he said, when the word Pentecost is used, it's not intended to indicate a one-time event but rather a lifestyle and an ongoing experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time event where I can say I've been saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-off event in my life, but it becomes a lifestyle where I endeavor to be Spirit-led, where I endeavor to live a Spirit-filled life. And I believe there's one initial filling of the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you, all along life's way, you need refillings of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? You say, well, why do I need a refilling? You leak. Life happens. And we need to have an encounter with God. Pentecost is important. And this morning I want to challenge you to cry out to God to revisit us with Pentecost. Listen to this promise that we have in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so you can witness effectively for Him. When you study the opening chapters of 
Acts, you discover the prayers that touched God and facilitated an outpouring of God's Spirit. I titled this message simply this morning, Pressing into Pentecost on Our Knees. Pressing into Pentecost in prayer. So let's look at four different types of prayer. First of all, there's united prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it'll be on the screen. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. When Pentecost was fully come, the disciples were in one place together in an upper room in Jerusalem. They were united in their purpose. And the scripture said they were in one accord in one place. They had a common purpose for being there. This united purpose expressed a twofold statement. Number one, they prayed with unity. Number two, they prayed with purpose. We must pray with purpose. What does it mean to pray with purpose? I like this definition I found from Andrew Murray. Shut the world out. Withdraw from all worldly thoughts and occupations. Shut yourself in alone with God to pray to Him in secret. Let this be your chief object in prayer to realize the presence of your heavenly Father. We should also pray in unity. That means we pray the same thing. I've been in prayer meetings where on one side of the church, they're praying for a sister who's, who's sick. They're praying for her to die. Lord, take her on home. And on the other side of the church, they're praying for her to be healed. I said, come on, folks, we got to get in unity here. we got to get together here. We're not praying our agenda. We're praying his agenda. That's why when we come together in prayer meetings, we wait on the Lord. We listen to him for a little bit, and we find out what the Holy Spirit is saying, and we join with him in saying what he's saying so we can pray in unity and we can come before the throne of God as one. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, listen to what it says. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Dr. Tim Hill says this, Many prayers are vague and lack definition. As a result, prayer becomes a frustrating experience. However, the 120 disciples in the upper room were praying about the same thing. James was not praying for authority while Thomas was praying for love, Peter was not asking for position while Andrew was praying for healing. They all prayed for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If we could just set our agenda aside for a moment, if we could just set our own needs aside for a moment and come together corporately and say we must have revival and cry out with one voice before the throne of grace and ask God for a divine visitation to come, not only to touch our church, but to touch every church in this community, to touch this community, to touch this city, and shake this city for the glory of God. I believe that we could see that kind of result. They were contending for the promise of the Father. Look at Jude verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And the next thing that happens in Acts chapter 2 verse 2, listen to what it says. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Turn to your neighbor and say suddenly. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Listen to me, everything God does has a sound attached to it. When my mother received a baptism of the Holy Spirit, she heard the wind of God. She heard the winds of Pentecost. I don't know about you, but I want to hear and feel the winds of Pentecost again. Can somebody say amen? Listen, church as usual don't get the job done. Just having sweet services don't get the job done. We need a violent, fierce windstorm from heaven to blow through this house in the name of Jesus. They were contending in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wheel, and it filled the house where they were sitting. I want you to note that word suddenly. God moves suddenly, but behind the suddenly is intercession 
Suddenly, it don't just happen. It's after a time of intercession and prayer. Ten days of prayer. Now listen, when Jesus was ascended into heaven, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said there were over 500 people that witnessed that. He instructed them to go to Jerusalem and tarry till they be endued with power from on high. He says, you're going to cast out devils. You're going to speak in new tongues. You're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to recover. You're going to do miracles in my name. You're going to preach the gospel all over the world to every creature. You're going to see signs and wonders follow the word. You're going to see all those things. But before you witness to anybody, before you say anything, you go to an upper room and you pray. That 500 got down to 120. Y'all just thought prayer meetings were unpopular today. Behind every suddenly is intercession and prayer. This prayer resulted in a sound from heaven. A mighty rushing wind. A fierce wind. My prayer today is may we experience that same wind of heaven in our assembly. But notice, secondly, they prayed truthful prayers. Prayers that were solidly biblical. Prayer that is biblically sound will produce Pentecost. Look at Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Paul wrote to his young son in the faith to warn him of a time when people would run after false teaching. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Jude warns in Jude 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Pentecost doesn't come because of someone's opinion. It does not come because of some new theology. We live in a day where there's a smorgasbord of doctrine that is available to us. But our prayers must be based on God's Word. They must be based on Scripture. We pray the Word over every circumstance in our life. Listen to me. When I go through something, I look to what the Word says, and I find out what the Word says about what I'm going through. And then I start assaulting that thing with the Word. I start coming against that thing with the Word. If my supplies attacked, I go over here and I say, You said in your Word that you would supply all of my needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You're bigger than Social Security. You're bigger than the U.S. government. You're bigger than the economy. You're bigger than inflation. You're bigger than my employer. You're my source. Man's not my source. You said if I would give you would cause men to give unto me pressed down shaking together and running over you would cause them to give in my bosom when I'm sick I go over here and I said I read where it says you call for the elders of the church to anoint with oil and the prayer of faith would save the sick and raise him up Judson Cornwell writes, when we pray the pure word of God we open ourselves to pure faith and we cannot help but get involved in pure prayer how do we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We pray His promises. Look at Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist is talking. I baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts 2.17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. There are many other scriptures, but we could take those two right there and start praying those right to the throne of grace. 
Judson Cornwall writes in his book, Praying the Scriptures, he defines prayer as a conversation between persons on the earth and God in heaven. And this conversation is based on his word. We pray the will of God when we pray the word of God. I've always known how people, in Pentecostal churches, we like to use the will of God, you know, as an excuse. Well, pastor, I'll do that if that's the will of God. I'll say, well, whether it's the will of God or not, I want you to do it. Amen. I'll pray about it. Well, pray about it. But while you're praying about it, come on and do it. How do I know I'm praying the will of God? I'm praying the word. See, you don't have to pray about what God's already revealed. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done. We pray truthful prayers. We pray united prayers, truthful prayers, but then we pray third, faithful prayers. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it said Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from them who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms and fixed his eyes on him. John, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The ninth hour of the day would correspond to our 3 p.m. It was the ninth hour that Jesus cried, it is finished. Peter and John had been filled with the Holy Spirit. They boldly took this lame man by the hand and said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They prayed boldly the prayer of faith. And a lame man was miraculously healed. However, many of those who heard the word believed in Acts 4.4. And a number of the men came to about 5,000. This miracle became an evangelistic tool, resulting in 5,000 people coming to Christ. We need a spirit-filled witness to reach people for Jesus. Listen to what Tim Hill writes. When the puny become powerful and the anemic take on authority... Pentecostal effectiveness will characterize the church again. This is the same Peter and John who were in hiding. This is the same Peter who cursed three times and denied the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the same Peter and John who were afraid for their very lives. It is said that before, that before Pentecost, they hid from Caesar. But after Pentecost, they shook Caesar's throne. We need people who will pray faithfully and my fourth point is this it is bold prayers united prayers prayers with purpose prayers we pray together as one then we pray truthful prayers prayers based on the word see i'm not telling you to pray anything today that's not already promised to us but the bible says we put god in remembrance of his word and then we pray faithful we be faithful to god how many of you will ask the holy spirit Today, tomorrow, this week, to put you in somebody's path who has a need and you can pray for them 
right then and right there. You don't have to say, hey, come to church with me on Sunday. That's a good thing. Bring them if they'll come. But you pray for them. Minister to them right there. You don't ever know that that person you run into, started to say at Kroger, but we don't have Kroger, at Publix is not walking through some hardship or some difficulty. Perhaps they've just had a diagnosis. And the Lord will speak to you and he'll say, go over there and talk to them. And folks, you from the South, come on, you know how to talk to people. What am I saying? Be a friend. Talk to somebody. Tell them about Jesus. Pray with them. Minister to them. You've got power down on the inside of you. You have authority. You can minister to them. Their life can be changed right there in a restaurant or the grocery store, the beauty shop, wherever it may be. Bold prayers. Acts chapter 4, 31. And when they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Arrested, persecuted, threatened by the religious authorities that they could not preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Listen to their response in verse 19 and 20 of Acts 4. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What happened when the church prayed? The place was shaken by the power of God. They were filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. What do we need today? We need this place to be invaded by the Spirit of God. We need His power. May we not be shaken by the events of our culture, but may we experience a shaking of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for us today is may we be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. He fills us to empower us to overcome these challenging times. And Paul instructed the church in Ephesus, do not be drunk with wine wearing his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Cameron V. Thompson writes, prayers are spreading out of our helplessness and that of others. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come before the loving eyes of a father who knows and understands and cares and answers. Prayer is the breathing and panting of the spirit after God. It is taking hold of the willingness of God rather than an overcoming of his reluctance. It is tuning in on the great thunderous 2,000 year old prayer meeting that now goes on in heaven above. Stand with me.